Praise the Lord. You know, I'm envious when my daughter and my wife play together because um, I have no musical abilities. <laughs> so if I had, then I would be playing here with you. I'm playing with them, but uh, I don't. But God has given me other gifts and so forth. But uh, I thank God for them, and I thank God for all of you, for again, for being us uh, here together this morning. And so um, if I could echo Elder Doug, he's been saying it. If you can't preach after that, brother, I got nothing for you. <laughs> we got nothing else for you. But uh, let's pray for the uh, blessing for this morning of the Word of God, and then we'll get into the message. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We thank you for the gifts that you have bestowed upon us. How we are all wired and made differently to enhance and to complement one another, but ultimately to build up the body of Christ, Jesus, who is our head. And now that is our focus, that Jesus may receive all the glory, that he may receive all the exaltation and, and the praises that are worthy of him. Father, now the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken through this servant may be pleasing to your sight. In the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. When, when we look around different churches today, we have different models and different kinds of churches, don't we? We have the mega churches, we have the middle-sized churches, and we have the small churches as well. We also have churches that are from different denominations. We have the Baptists, we have the Presbyterians, we have the Methodists, we have the Covenant, and we have the Catholics, and we have the Scapillion, on and on and on and on. We have different churches. We also have churches that have a house church movement, if you heard of that. House churches that meets in different homes. As we look into these other churches that are existing in the world, and we look at them carefully, and we look at the, the different models that they, they have, the mega churches, the smaller churches, or the middle-sized churches, or, or other denominations, as we look at them. And if we want to become a, a biblical, functioning church, where do we start? Where do we begin? What do we look to? If we want to become a biblical, functioning church, that is thriving, vibrant, and that is passionate for Jesus Christ. Again, where do we start? Where do we look to? The question naturally arises then. Again, the question naturally arises. Where do we look? And where do we start? Paul gives us that answer this morning. As, look, as we look into this morning's text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, we will discover two biblical truths or principles that we must follow or we must implement as a church if we want to become a biblical functioning church. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, or you can see it behind me. But if you have your Bibles in front of you, whether it may be a hard copy like this or an electronic Bible, it will be much uh, simple to follow along. 
So first point is this. We must look to Christ as a gift giver. Amen? We must look to Christ as the gift giver. In verse 7, Paul says, But to each one of us, grace. Now let me press the pause button here. What does grace here mean? You see, the Greek word for grace is karas, which means as a gift or blessing brought to man by who? By Jesus Christ. And he says, has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, in the Greek, it would read as according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So what Paul is saying here is this. Christ has given a gift to you and to me, not for us to keep it for ourselves, not for us to enjoy it for ourselves or hoard it, but he gave the gift to you and to me to what? To bless others in the church so that we can build the body of Christ. Now, some of you know that I like coffee. And so, uh, if you call me up and say, Pastor Nick, would you like to have a fellowship time and have coffee with me? And I'll be there. All right? But uh, I'll have a confession to make. I am very picky how I make my coffee. See, see, you see this pot here. If I want to make a one cup for myself, what I do is that I put the filter and I put a three spoons of dark rose coffee. And how I measure it with this, with this pot here and with the cup, just imagine that, the, you know, not with the cup, just imagine I'm in the sink pouring water into this pot and I carefully measure it. And sometimes my wife gives me a hard time because I'm in the kitchen looking at the pot like this. Make sure it's perfectly measured. Okay? The reason why I do that is, if you're a coffee drinker, if I put too much water into the pot, what happens? The coffee's too weak. But if I put too less, less of water or too little of water, what happened? The coffee's too strong. So that is why, it's because I'm so picky, and in some ways I'm a perfectionist, so I measure it very carefully like this, and watch it so that I don't over or underfill it. Perfect. If I overfill it, then I pour down the sink. And after I got a perfect measurement, I pour into the coffee machine and let the aroma of the coffee flow. And, and my senses, I'm like, wow, this is going to be good coffee. Amen? Amen? In the same way, when God the Father created you, and when he created me, he looked at you, and he, he knows how you're wired, and he knows how you, your DNA and your RNA, RNA is, and he knows it perfectly because he made you, amen? And so he pours the gift into your life, and he watches it carefully, so he makes it just right, so that he watches, so that the aroma of Christ, as Paul would say, will overflow from you. And so as you practice your gift, and not to keep it for yourself, and as you give it and practice it faithfully, who gets the blessing? The God, but the people that you pour out your blessing to. As Pastor Mark says, the weather's getting warmer. 
And God has given you a gift. Yes, it is great that we serve one another in the church. But again, God has called us to go out outside of these walls and to reach out to the people who don't know Christ. At least pray for them. Just like Pastor Mark alluded to. The plumber, he didn't want my prayer. You know? But I said, he, said, he literally says, don't waste your prayer, Pastor. I said, I'm not going to waste my prayer, but I'll pray for you anyway. And we pray. You know people are going to reject the gospel. You know that people are going to reject your prayer. But it is God has given you a gift that you have to be faithful regardless of your rejection. You have to do your part and pray for them and share them with the gospel. You may get spit at. You may get closed. Your doors may be closed. But hey, Jesus commands us what? To share the gospel. And that's why he has given you and me the gift. And he measured it perfectly. Amen? Each gift we have from Christ comes from him. Notice in verse 8, Paul makes it very clear. And he, he quotes Psalm chapter 68, verse 18, because he wants to make it clear that the gift is coming from Jesus Christ. Psalm, he quotes 68, 18. He says, this is why it says, when he, when he, meaning Christ, ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, in order to understand this uh, chapter, we have to understand the whole context. And so when we look at Psalm 68, we have to go back to what verse 7 says. And verse 7 says, God went out into a vic- God went out and did a victory lap before the Israelites after he guided them out of Exodus. And in verse 8 tells us, in Mount Sinai, the earth shook because of the Almighty God's presence. Followed by, in verse 11 through 14, God Almighty scattered the gifts of the land and the armies fleeting for their lives. And lastly, in verses 16 and 17, God moves from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, leading tens of thousands and thousands of thousands of his people and leading the captives in his train. So Paul uses this imagery and applies it to Christ's ascension as a conqueror who defeated and dethroned his enemies. But when we look at Psalm Psalm chapter 68, verse 18, in the Old Testament, there is a slight difference. It would read, when God ascended on high, he received gifts from people. But Paul's quote of Psalm in the New Testament is Christ, as he was ascending, gave gifts to his people. Initially, if we look at this text from Ephesians to Psalms in the Old Testament, you may say there's a contradiction here. It said, Lord, I don't get it. Why? But in the ancient world, when a king conquered, 
a nation. He took captives and he gave away what he acquired from the battle to his own people. At the same time, it was the norm of receiving tribute and giving of gifts. Now, Psalm does not say that. Also, in, the, in, in Hebrews, excuse me, in the, book, in the Hebrew text, it would translate it be people brought rather than receive. Furthermore, two ancient translations, Aramaic and Syriac, translate as gave, gave. But more importantly, God's word teaches us what? God the Father gave it to Jesus. Jesus received it from the Father. And what did he do? He gave gifts. You see? So it is biblical principle that as we receive gifts, that we give back. And that's what Jesus did. So there is no contradiction. So as we understand that. So now Paul used, does something amazing here. Or the purpose of quoting Psalm was to set up of what he was going to say next about Christ's incarnation and ascension. Notice, he says in verses 9 and 10, Paul says, what does he ascended mean? Meaning Christ. Except that he also descended to the lower earthly region. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher, higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Here's what Paul is saying to us. Christ humbled himself, left his throne, leaving his Father's presence, and descent to earth, submitting to the Father's will. Remember, if you remember, Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse, excuse me, chapter 6, verses 30, verse 38. For I have come down from the heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him. Meaning the Father who sent him. Jesus came down in incarnation and bore our sins and was crucified with, on the cross. He was dead and buried, but death could not hold him. Amen? The tomb could not sustain him. So therefore, he resurrected to the exaltation, defeating death as a conquering king, and his people, like you and me, receive the gift, and we, as we receive the gift, we give praises unto Jesus, we sing worship songs as we have this morning. You see, the reason why we gather on Sunday mornings is to celebrate and to honor his crucifixion, I mean, uh, resurrection. Remember, Jesus was crucified on Friday, and Easter is coming, amen? And he rose on the third day, and that is Sunday. And that is why we gather on Sunday to celebrate his resurrection, to exalt his name, to praise his name, and to give him glory and honor and praises that is due to him, amen? amen. Furthermore, as our king, he lavished his gifts upon us. His gift on us so that we can bless others. 
And what are those gifts that he has blessed, blessed us with? Paul lists them in verses, excuse me, verse 11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets. Now, as we look at the context of this Ephesians, we can conclude that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church. They were given by Christ to establish their church. Today, we have God's word over the apostles and the prophets. John Stott writes, as the foundation on which the church is being built, the prophets have no successors any more than the apostles have. For the foundation was laid and finished centuries ago, and we cannot tamper with it in any way today. So what Paul is saying, or John Stott is saying, the prophets and the apostles had their responsibilities and their work to do, and they were to lay the foundation. Now, that's another sermon, and I'll save that for another time. But Christ also gave the evangelists. As Christians, we are all called to be evangelists, right? We're called to share the gospel. But there are those who are specially gifted as evangelists. People, for example, like Billy Graham or Louis Peral, they have the gift, a special ability to communicate the gospel in such a way that unbelievers who hear the message that is preached and taught, that they will follow and commit their lives to Jesus Christ. We need men and women who are gifted in the, world, in the area of evangelism to open the way for unbelievers to know who Christ is. If you sense that you have the gift of evangelism, you have to put it to practice. Because if you don't practice the gift that God has given you, I believe in Scripture it does that God will take that gift away from you and give it to someone else who will use it effectively and faithfully. If God has called you to a specific assignment, and if you don't obey and follow and fulfill that assignment that God has called you, then he's going to call someone else to fulfill that assignment. And you are going to miss out in the blessings from the assignment because God is going to use someone else. But I know all of you uptown Baptist Church, you don't do that. When God gives you assignment, you obey. Amen? When God gives you a gift, you obey and you practice it and faithfully. Amen? Next, Christ gives the church pastors. The Greek word for pastors is shepherds. The shepherds are the one who the Lord raises up to care for the total well-being of the flock meaning the body of Christ. Lastly, Christ gives the church teachers. Now, shepherds are teachers as well. And some scholars will put it together. And they say that pastors and teachers, they'll put it together. And they said it's not a two different people, but one. But there are other teachers who are not pastors, too. Teachers that teaches at seminaries, Bible colleges, teaches Bible class in our church, but not necessarily pastors. 
Our church, you know what, brothers and sisters, is so blessed. We are so blessed to have wonderful teachers. We have Pastor Mark. We have Elder Doug. We have Elder Bob, who teaches the Word. We have uh, Pastor Dale, who teaches the uh, Word and teaches Sunday school. So we all are blessed to have wonderful teachers in our church. Amen? And I know Pastor Allen, if I call upon him, I know he would teach. Amen? On the side note, um, Pastor Allen invited our family uh, to their home yesterday, and we had a wonderful meal. And they exposed us to a Jamaican dish, or is it Brazilian dish? I'm sure. Brazilian dish, yes, pardon me. But uh, it was good. It was good. It was good. And then I said, uh, as, as we're driving home, I told my wife, I said, there was, the, the night was fantastic. We were blessed by them, and we were just you know, sharing our love with one another, fellowshipping, breaking the bread, and just really listening to Pastor uh, uh, Alan's wisdom. And it was, it was a blessing. I said, but there was one thing, one thing that I regret, and that is I didn't eat enough. I could have that more of that dish. You know, it was a shrimp dish, and it was rice over rice. And by now you would know that I love carbs. I love rice, okay? And then Pastor Allen challenged us. We went downstairs and played ping pong. So it was Pastor Allen and Abigail and then myself and uh, Rachel. I'm embarrassed to say they schooled us. And so... They school and I, I was so embarrassed, right? And I, Pastor Allen doesn't know this. And when I went to bed, I had a dream. So I said, Pastor Allen, you, okay, well, you beat us in doubles, so I want to play with you one-on-one. -on -one. And then in my dream, and it was a dream, and I schooled him. You know, that's why it's a dream. You know, but, you know, Pastor and I, we immediately collected, uh, connected. We have various things in similar, so I look forward to getting to know him and uh, fellowshipping him. So next time, we're going to invite him to our house, and we're going to have some Korean barbecue ribs. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and y'all too, so, you know, it will take time, but be patient that our home will be Mikasa Sukasa. Amen? Amen? Brothers and sisters, to have a biblical functioning church is to have gifted leadership. Amen? Amen. Notice in verse, chapter, uh, verse 12, Paul says this, to equip his people for works of service. Paul is saying, Christ has given the church gifted leadership to equip and prepare his people for the works of his service and ministry. Pastor Mark and I are called to equip you to build up the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. For the works of service. Loved ones, all of us have a part of building up the body of Christ. No one is of excuse. Everyone has a part to build up the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Everyone and every ministry is equally important. No ministry is more important than the other. Worship team ministry is not important than, more important than the nursery. The, the usher team ministry is not more important than the fellowship ministry. All ministry is equally important. Amen? Amen? The point that Paul is making is this, that everyone is called to minister. 
And if my first sermon that I gave about a couple months ago was that we are a holy priesthood. Everyone is a priest. If you enter into Uptown Baptist Church, and if you are a member of Uptown Baptist Church, then you are a holy priesthood. Amen? Amen. Everyone has a part to play. Why? Paul makes it very clear in verse 12. So that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. The whole body grows as each gifts is to build up the church. The gifts that we receive from Christ, we must put them into practice faithfully. Then and only then our church will be steady. Our church will become healthier. Our church will become more mature. The ultimate goal of Christ for His church is that we may reach unity and maturity. Amen? And this will lead to my second point. Second point is this. We must grow in our maturity. Notice in verse 13. Until we all reach or obtain unity, the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The Greek, the Greek word for mature is teleos, meaning perfect. If you remember what Jesus said, be perfect as our heavenly Father is what? Is perfect. The problem with Christianity is a lot of times that we give God the leftover. We give God our leftover in our Sunday worship services. We give our God leftover when we fellowship. We give our God leftover when we do activities or outreach. We don't give our best. We're called to give our best. And again, teleos is to be perfect like our Heavenly Father. Now, I'm not trying to say that we're be, trying to be legalistic here like the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the teachers of law. But we're called to strive to be perfect, to be like the Father because He deserves our best. Amen? Amen. So in our worship, we need to give our best. In our services, we need to give our best. In our communion, in our fellowship, in our outreach, we need to give our best because He deserves it. Talios means perfect, complete in all its parts. Not incomplete, but complete. Full grown, a full age, especially of the completeness of Christian, listen carefully, character. Our character. If people see you in your workplaces, if, if your neighborhoods in your neighborhood see you, would they see Christian godly character in your life? Would they see that? That's teleos. What Paul is saying here is this the goal of the church is to become teleos unity. Amen? That comes only from knowing and putting our trust in Jesus Christ. As soon as you and I take off our eyes off Jesus Christ, we're in trouble. As soon as, I, as soon as you and I take off our eyes off from Jesus Christ, as a church, we become dysfunctional. We must always keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Unity does not happen because we all agree with one another. Unity does not happen because we share similar 
interests or likings or backgrounds or because we have similar habits or similar hobbies or similar likes or dislikes. No, unity happens only when we are growing in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Brothers and sisters, the more we grow in the knowledge of Christ and putting our faith in Him, the more we give, or excuse me, the more we grow toward full unity that Christ desires of us. Paul says, until you reach unity and become mature in Christ, you are not going to experience the fullness of Christ. Don't we want to experience the fullness of Christ? Notice in the latter part of verse 13, obtaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The Greek word for fullness is pleroma, which means filling up. When we obtain maturity individually and corporately, Jesus will fill us up with himself. He will come to you and to me and as a church, and he will fill himself up all the way with himself. And I'm sure all of us want to be filled with Jesus. We don't want half Jesus. We want full of Jesus. But the only way that we're going to experience that full of Jesus is that when individually and corporately that we become teleos in Christ. Amen? Notice in verse 14, Paul says this, there will be no longer be infants. If when we are mature, we will not be infants. The Greek word for infants is nepemos, means unlearned or immature person. I remember growing up, my, my sisters would tell me, say, Nick, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to stop acting immature? Have you heard that? Right? Have you heard that? Yeah. But we do not want to hear that when, about our, our faith. We do not want to hear someone say, when are you going to grow up in your faith? When are you going to become mature in your faith? We do not want to hear that because we are striving to become teleos. The person who has not learned about Christ or who is immature in their faith would not be able to be stable. And Paul says this, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. You see, this is a story of an immature believer. They're going to listen to the latest fad of teaching. They're going to listen to the latest news and they say, that sounds good. Or they're going to listen to some speaker speak about some things and they that sounds good. They're going to go back and forth, back and forth. Why? Because they're not stable. Why they're not stable? Because they are not mature in their faith. And they easily fall into, as Paul says, by the cunning and the craftiness, craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. How many of you know someone like that? They've been conned. Or they've been deceived because they don't know the truth. But as mature believers such as you and myself, Paul says this, Verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love. 
Now, in the Greek, it would literally read, "choosing in love." So, if you notice carefully, the word "speaking" is absent. Paul is doing this because he's putting more emphasis of doing the truth rather than speaking the truth. As mature believers, that we walk the talk. How many of you heard Christians? They talk the big game, but their lifestyle tells otherwise. Remember the Pharisees and remember the teachers of the law. Remember the Sadducees. When Jesus looked, looked at what they were teaching and when, they looked, when he looked at their lives, what did he call them? You hypocrites. And the Greek word for hypocrite is what? Play acting. He said, stop play acting. Stop play acting. You think that you're righteous. You think you're holy. That's what you're teaching. That's what you're saying. And you like, you like walking around the, the mall, I mean, the, the villages with fancy robes and, and a fancy ring on your He says, stop play acting because you don't know God. And I know you. You want to kill me. Right? So we, as Christians, we need to walk the talk. Brothers and sisters, when we practice truthing in love, in other words, when we have truth and love together, we will produce great fruits in our lives and people around us will be blessed by it. We need both, truth and love. I've seen people just practicing the truth and they have no love. They're great people. They have great truth. But love is absent. Compassion, mercy, Gentleness is missing. But that's where we need love. But when we also have people that have only focuses on love, compassion, truth, and kindness, and they don't know the truth. That's what Paul is teaching us. You need to know the truth, and you need to know love, and put it together, and practice it. Amen, up UBC? Therefore, Paul says this in the latter part of verse 15. He says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him. Literally, it would read this. We should grow up in him in all things. Loved ones, you know, I don't know about you, but I need to grow up. Amen? So as a church, can we grow up together? Grow up. Let's, let's say this together. Let's grow up, let's grow up. in the Lord. Amen. You guys are awesome. And we cannot forget this. Who is what? The head? That is Jesus. Amen? I'm not the head. Pastor Mark is not the head. Elder Doug and the other board of elders is not the head. Christ is the head. Amen? And we obey him. Amen? We follow him. We have to look to Christ because as Paul says in verse 16, from him meaning Christ, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. The ligament, the word ligament in Greek means to fasten together, to fit perfectly. Grows and builds itself up in love as, please listen carefully, each part does its work. Loved ones, we are joined together in Christ. And he's the one who made us fit 
perfectly. You see, when you look at a puzzle, when you look at a puzzle, it comes in different sizes and different shapes, doesn't it? By itself, and then you try to put it together, it doesn't work. But if you lay it all out, if you lay all the pieces out and you have the overview and you be patient and you start putting it together, the right pieces together, what happens? It fits perfectly. The problem is that many of us in the church, not UBC, but the church, other, in the churches generally speaking, they look at each other and say, you're not like me. You're not shaped like me. You don't look like me. You're different from me. So I'm not going to spend time with you. But God made us differently. Amen? Amen? All kinds of shapes and sizes. And it is God who puts it together, makes it fit perfectly. And that's who we are. I'm different from you. You're different from me. We're made differently. My gifts are different from your gifts, and, and your gifts are different from my gifts. Again, my wife and my daughter, their gifts is different from me. Their gift is music. I'm not gifted in that area. But God puts us together, and we complement each other. And that's what we are as a church, amen? That God makes us and puts us together perfectly, fit perfectly, to complement one another. To why? So that we can build up the body of Christ as each part does its work. Brothers and sisters, though, the body of Christ is only healthy and efficient when each part works together under the Lordship of Christ. Amen? The danger that I see is this, that many churches, not UBC, many churches, we have the same people serving over and over and over again, and the same people that are serving, eventually what? They get burned out and they leave the church. While others are watching and not serving. For example, it's like this. If I only use my left leg and not my right, my, not my right eventually my left leg is going to get injured because I'm putting too much strain on my left leg. Because it's meant, my both legs are meant to work together, to function together. Same with the arm. If I just lift up this table as strong as I am, <laughs> lift up this table by just right arm, eventually it's going to get sore and, it's going, and this is going to get, my arm's going to get burned out. It's meant to do it together. Matter of fact, my whole body, if I just lift this table just with my arms, then I'm going to hear injure my back. How many of you guys been there? Right? When you try to move something, well, Pastor Mark, he, he battled with the garbage can and the garbage can won. <laughs> so, but... If we want to lift something, right, we need to squat on our knees, and then we need to grab it in our arms, and what? We use the whole body to lift up. Then we don't get injured. Then it, that's called efficiency. Amen? And that's called a healthy body. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, loved ones. Look around who's serving. And if you are not serving, God is telling me to tell you, Go and connect and ask the ushers, the AVT team, the worship team, whatever ministry, and say, how can I help? You see, that's what it means to be a healthy 
body of Christ that is efficient, that is perfect, that is healthy and vibrant and thriving, growing church. Amen? Amen. We're not meant to look, we're not meant to be bystanders. You know me by now, I love cars. I wish I could afford nice cars like a Ferrari or a Porsche. But the reason why I admire is the machinery. The machinery, how it works together. And it's just, it's efficient. And that is why it produces the horsepower. And that is why it wins races. You see, you and I, we're called as a church to be efficient. And you're only going to be efficient when everyone does its part. Amen? Amen. Now, aren't you glad that you came to church today? Amen. Amen. In the same way, my loved ones, the, brothers, the body of Christ is meant to the function with all parts, members working together. When all the members are working together, we will produce maturity and unity in our body. Not because we agree with one another. So for us to become a biblical functioning church, Paul says this, each, the Greek word is hektios, meaning everyone. He doesn't say someone. He doesn't say him, her. He doesn't say others, but he says what? Hektios, meaning everyone does its work. Amen? In closing, in the beginning I asked this question. What is the characteristics of a biblical functioning church? A biblical functioning church, we must have unity, diversity, and growing in teleos, maturity. Furthermore, we must strive to be a caring community of believers who are humble, who are gentle, kindness, patience, and love. Brothers and sisters, we learn today from Paul by holding the truth in love, every member will grow into maturity. What keeps our church healthy and efficient is an intimate connection with Jesus Christ, who is the head and directs our heart and mind together. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that the word that is spoken through your servant, that you were pleased, and that you were honored, and that you were blessed. Father, we thank you, we love you, because you first loved us. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.